You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's pray before we dive into Ephesians then. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, the book of Ephesians and thank you for the, the privilege that we have to come here and to study it together and to hear from your word. My Father, I just pray that you would speak to us. I pray, Father, that you would uh, find us in the places of of difficulty and suffering in our lives. Um, Lord, I pray that you would paint a picture of what it means to be uh, just a confident, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-enabled Christian. Lord, I pray that you would protect us in these moments as we hear from your word. pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. Help us to be different people as we walk out of here today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Question, where does your confidence come from? Question I have this morning, where, where does your confidence come from? Like, I want to talk about the American vision of confidence for just a minute, okay? I want to kind of pick a bone, pick a little bit of a fight. I want to kind of get in the face of our American culture just a little bit. I believe the American vision of confidence is in shambles. Like the Hollywood version specifically of a man looks like overgrown boys who spend too much time on their video games jumping from job to job while living in their mom's basements. Okay? So I know that's harsh. There's, I've known other guys that have spoken this way, and I want to I, I make that as direct as it is, but I also want to soften that a little bit and just say, hey, that's just, just the picture we see in Hollywood, right? It's the picture we see in America of what a confident man looks like. Or, or they look like a, like a race car driving, womanizing, adrenaline junkie who drinks too much beer, right? That would be the other picture we see. I think you have that on your screen. The Hollywood version of a woman looks like an underdressed, lonely, carefree party animal that needs to cut loose, right? That's the picture I think we see. Or they look like the female version of their race car driving, gun toting, beer guzzling counterparts with less clothes on. That's, what, that's what's happened, I think, in, in our culture. Uh, listen, the, the average person uh, consumes 4.7 hours of television a day. 4.7 hours doesn't even count the social media use. Well, the average Christian, listen close, the average Christian consumes less than an hour. And honestly, I think the largest statistic is less than 15 minutes a day in Scripture study, biblical teaching, and Christian community. What what do you think the long-term effect of that's going to be on a culture? Where do you think we're going to wind up at the end of that? But listen, a lot of guys that I know, that I meet with, Uh, can quote lines at length from their favorite movies. They can quote stats that are absolutely outrageous from their favorite sport, while in the same breath lamenting that they don't have time or the desire to be in God's word. These are guys in our culture who call themselves Christian, right? Right? Women? I'll pick on women just as equally. Many women I meet can quote Oprah or lament their favorite romance movie. 
having a conversation with one of my daughters this week about this, and she said I could go ahead and use her as an object lesson. She said, man, like one of the things that, that she finds easy to fall into is just that, like watching romance movies and finding confidence there that somehow she's going to get the kind of man that she sees in that movie rather than find her confidence in the presence of Christ and the picture that Christ has for her of the man that he has for her. This is something we, we all struggle with. A lot of women I meet quote Oprah, lament their favorite romance movie for hours. But listen, when, when pressed for, for, with this question, like what is a godly vision of, of confident womanhood, um, a lot of the women I have met or know can't get past uh, Jesus loves me. And it's, it's tough. Right? That's the picture that we have. That's the competing picture that we have of, of biblically confident male and femaleness. There, let's made up a word. <laughs> so, 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 where does your confidence come from? Confidence, where does it come from? I, I don't want to be critical just to be critical, okay? I can do that easily, right? That's, that's part of how I roll, just critical nature. Um, so I don't want it to be, to be critical to be critical. I, I think this is a real problem. Uh, the, the pop culture American dream that, that Hollywood force feeds us every day, I believe, is an absolute sham. I do know this. I know that in one sermon, I cannot create in you the want to. In one sermon, I can't create in you the want to be a confident, godly man or woman. Sucks because I want to. Hear me? Like, I want to. Like, I want to have that power. I hope you understand the sarcasm that's coming out of my mouth, okay? What I'm confessing to you from the pulpit is that I would like to be God. You know how much of a big mess I would make? <laughs> this is why I need to confess that in one sermon and, and in many sermons, I cannot create that in you. Um, only the Holy Spirit can create the want to in you to be a confident man or woman. I can't create in you the desire to know God's word. I can't create in you the knowledge to piece together a better vision for your life. But the Spirit of God can. The Spirit of God can bring life to dead hearts. I've seen him do it. I watched him do it in my own life. So that's my prayer today as we dive into Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. My prayer is the Lord would help me to communicate a powerful and spirit-filled vision to paint a picture, a vision for you of what it looks like to be men and women who are filled with spirit-enabled confidence. That's, that's my hope, is I would just be faithful to paint that picture. And I pray that the spirit of the living God, right? He's alive. The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled back. That the spirit of the living God who beat Satan's sin and death would then come and create uh, confident men and women who actually lean into this role of stewarding God's grace through the message of the gospel. That's my prayer, is that God would help us to see this as serious as it actually is. Like, we live in a culture where the thing that we're getting tempted with each and every day 
is to take everything else far more serious than what God says. That, that's been what's been happening from day one at the garden, right? Did God really say that? Let's not take that that seriously, okay? We live in the same day and age. We may not be standing in front of a tree in a garden with a serpent speaking to us, but we do live in this culture with just one piece of the serpent prophetically speaking to us, like I just pointed out from Hollywood. There's many others. Hollywood's just the one I picked on today. What's more important to you this morning? What God's word says to you or what the world is throwing at you? Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 says this. It's serious, right? Paul thinks it's serious. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. <clears throat> See, in verse 13, uh, Paul says, kind of wraps all this up by saying, don't lose heart when you see me suffering for you, right? Now, Paul definitely wasn't competing with Hollywood prototypes. We know that. It wasn't the issue he was struggling against. But he still preached against a false version of what it looks like to be a confident man or woman. He's sitting in a prison cell, right, waiting on his big, fat, trumped-up false charges, his soon impending death that's kind of headed his way mostly because of his radical and courageous and confident stand preaching of the gospel. He, he, he knows that as this is happening, his listeners will be tempted. They'll be tempted and tried from every side to cave in to the pressure around them. They'll be tempted and tried from the pressure around them from Satan, sin, and the world, right? The unholy trinity, Satan, sin, and the world. So what's the shot in the arm? What shot in the arm does Paul give us? What model of confidence does he prop up for, it, for us so that we catch that vision? Interestingly enough, like we said last week, he uses himself. 
in the first verse. In the first verse, he describes himself from a redeemed point of view. You'll remember that. His tall Paul is redeemed into small Saul. I'm sorry, tall Saul redeemed into small Paul. Thankfully, I have notes. I would have just blown right past that. <laughs> tall Saul was redeemed into small Paul. He sees himself from that redeemed point of view now. And, and at the same time, he reminds his listeners that he isn't captured by anything other than Christ. Like, think about this. He's not captured by anything other than Christ. He's, he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He, he's not enslaved to his sin. He's not enslaved by his desires. He's no longer that man. He's a brand new man. Not enslaved to other people's expectations. Not enslaved by chasing all of his dreams down and making them come true. He's not even enslaved by the Roman guards that he's chained to. He's enslaved by Christ. He's a bondservant of Christ. Listen, he's enslaved to Christ and set free at the same time. This is the man who speaks about freedom. What a paradox while being chained to human guards who are going to kill you. Right? It's a paradox. As Paul continues forward, he describes himself as a responsible manager of God's word. A responsible manager of God's grace. He describes this great revelation that he has that he wants to share with the entire world, right? Like, talk about someone who needed confidence. Think about the confidence that it would take to be the Apostle Paul, to know that you are a steward, a manager of God's grace. Huh. Crazy. This isn't the kind of confidence you need when uh, thinking about asking a girl out on a date. <laughs> it's not, not, not even close to being on the same level. Not the, not the kind of confidence you need when making the next big purchase to fulfill the American dream. Not even close. It's the kind of confidence that takes the world by storm because actual human souls depend on what you know to be true and what you have to say. That's serious. Where do you get this kind of confidence? How do you not cave under the weight of that kind of responsibility? As you're sitting here listening, do you understand that if you're here and you call yourself Christian, this is your responsibility? Like, Jesus didn't call you off the beach to start following him so that you could build the, your own little cocoon, right? Make your own little group of friends. Um, whatever it may be. Change your social status. That's not why Jesus saved us. Uh, Jesus saved us for the sake of other people. This is a massive responsibility. What, what are you going to do with that responsibility? Are you going to ignore it? Will you ignore it? Will you take that seriously? If you actually listen to that and start taking that seriously, then where is your confidence going to come from to heed that call? See, Paul's going to go there here in chapter 4, just a couple weeks. Well, what's going to help you not tap out tomorrow because you decided that you wanted something else? Well, what's going what's to help you stand firm? What's going to keep you there? 
What's going to keep you from going back to where you came from? At the end of the day, the Spirit of the living God has to give you that strength. But what does that look like? And what are you going to preach to yourself at night? Right? Hollywood certainly will fail you and fall terribly short of what you're going to need. One of the ways that I like to escape the pressures of life is watching violent movies, I'll admit. My favorite old genre of movie is uh, westerns, cowboy movies. Most of you know that already, talk about it all the time. Love Clint Eastwood, uh, John Wayne, many others. Grew up without a dad, so um, I was able to get a picture of what it looks like to be a man. <laughs> Who knew, like... Most of those men in those movies are rotten role models, drunkards, womanizers, abusers, right? Selfish, only in it for their own gain, right? It's going to make me famous. Like, I'm going to be the hero. <laughs> so where does Paul's confidence come from in this passage? Obviously, he didn't have TVs. What does Paul know that we need to know? What does he know that, uh, that will give us the kind of spirit-filled confidence we really have? I know the PowerPoint guy's been ahead of me for like the last five minutes. I'm not, just, uh, um, I'm not just drawing attention to you because I don't like you either, so I'm sorry. I, I love you a bunch, Bryce. I'm just picking on you. <laughs> and it's okay. Oh, I don't even know who's doing it. That's okay. That's good. Don't tell me who's doing it because I'll pick on them. You poor people. <laughs> not only am I up here yelling at you. Um, Where did Paul get the confidence that he needs? Like, what what does he know that we need, right? Number one, number one, Paul knew he was a steward of God's grace. That's what he knew. In verse two, that rhymes. So he knew in verse two. Paul didn't cave under the responsibility. That's the point. He didn't cave under this responsibility of his calling as a Christian. He didn't cave under the responsibility of his calling as a minister of the gospel because he knew that he was the middleman. He was not the man. He was the middleman, and he knew that. Get that. He knew that he was not the man. He was the middleman. I'll repeat this all day long. Why? Because you and I, we all need to hear this. Like, especially me, I'm sitting in the pulpit, right? It's, it's easy to feel like, Joe, you are the man today for preaching God's word. Follow me? The spotlight gets on you. It's easy to feel like that. And you don't have to be in a pulpit like me. You just be a dad or a husband or, a, or, or somebody who works a job. Right? It's easy to feel like you are the man or the woman. <laughs> the woe. I think Adam, when God created Eve, was like, oh, man. God was like, yes, woman. Anyways. We need color commentary today, don't we? <laughs> he knew he was the middleman, knew he wasn't the man. Otherwise, he would have tapped out, right? He was tasked with stewarding or managing the grace of God. Imagine that, the grace of God, stewarding that. He calls himself, I'm a steward of God's grace. I'm a manager of God's grace. It had been given to him. It wasn't something he earned. It wasn't something that he kept locked up in the basement of his own personal life, like, you know, I'm a Christian here but not there this is a segment of my life when you see me over here it's not about Jesus over here it's about me and my wants and my needs and everything I'm working for right but over here on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever it may be that's where I'm a Christian right 
Like Paul didn't compartmentalize that way. When you met Paul, you knew who he was because he had been so radically transformed and changed by God's grace. Right? That's why Paul says, I assume, I assume, I just think it's crazy that Paul even used that word. I assume. I assume that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. This grace of God that Paul's speaking about was something that was given to him. And something that he earned. It wasn't something he deserved. That's the difference between stewards and managers and owners. Okay? When you're a steward or a manager of something, it's something that's been given to you and entrusted to you by somebody else who owns it, and they're going to come back someday and ask you how you did with that. It's like, I will only leave my wife or my children under the care of someone I actually trust. I think my friend Mike from Carney laid this out really Carefully, And the way he was doing it was talking about the body of Christ being the bride of Christ, right? And elders and their function and their job and leaders in the church being responsible to care for the bride of Christ because that's God's bride, right? That's a, that's a heavy responsibility. Paul knew this. Paul had experienced grace at a personal level when he became a Christian. He knew that his, this experience wasn't meant to be kept to himself, The grace of God was meant to be shared with other people. It was for the sake of others that God had saved Paul by his grace. If you're sitting here and you're just thinking, man, it's so good to be caught up in the fact that Jesus saved me. It's good. Like, it's good. But Jesus didn't save you for the sake of you. Jesus saved you for the sake of his Father's glory and for the sake of others hearing the gospel through you, right? Now, you might ask, well, how do I share the gospel then? Well, through your life, words, and your actions. It was for the sake of others that God saved Paul by his grace, and I believe that that's what gave Paul this confidence. It's what gave Paul confidence in the midst of suffering, extreme circumstances. Otherwise, Paul would have tapped out. He knew that it wasn't just about him. If grace was just about you, you would tap out tomorrow. The moments that you do tap out and run headlong back into sin, that's part of the reason why. You believed this lie that that fruit looks so good and tasty just for you. And you reach out and you grab it and you became consumed by it. And now you live in darkness. That's what's happened. You've been deceived. The truth of God's word has come to set you free, but the grace of God was not just for you, it was for others too, because guess what? There were others in the room with you. You're not the only one that's been lost. This this grace of God is something that was given to us to um, steward, that this gives Paul great confidence. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus for a minute. Like this is where Paul drew his vision for confidence, right? If you were to ask Paul today, hey, hey, Paul, um, where do you get your vision, your picture for what it means to be a confident man? Well, I, don't, I don't know that Paul would say, well, from Peter over there. Maybe somewhere in the dialogue, maybe it would make it there, but I, don't, I just don't think it'd be Paul's first, first answer. I think Paul's first answer would be Jesus because I met the face of grace in Jesus on a road to Damascus where I was his enemy. He saved me, right? I think that's what Paul would say because I think that's what he says all throughout the scriptures. So think about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to earth for selfish purposes, right? 
Jesus didn't come to earth begrudgingly. Oh, man. Father, why do I got to go save those losers? Gosh. Ugh. Right? If that it was for the joy of the cross that he went to the cross. The joy set before him. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross joyfully for you and I. Meaning that he died joyfully for you and I. That's that's a picture of what it means to be a man, right? I want a picture of what it means to be a man. Look at Jesus. And don't take your eyes off of him. Christ's obedience to the Father at the cross of Calvary on behalf of his enemies, I think, is the vision that gave the Apostle Paul confidence. And you won't find this picture uh, uh, very, very, very often in our, our Hollywood saturated American culture, right? Because because it's a picture of confident sacrifice. That's the picture of Christ, is confident sacrifice. It's a picture of others-centered living. It's not a picture of me-centered, selfish living. It's a picture of others-centered living. It's a picture of someone who leaves the comfort and goes to the place where it's hard. It's a picture of someone who leaves behind all of the good to go pursue the lost, right? This is a picture of Christ. It's actually, it's a picture of gift giving, right? Christ came to give himself to us. To give himself as a gift on our behalf to us so that we could experience the presence of Christ. See, when when I receive gifts, it's too easy for me to think that that gift is all about me. We talked about this over Christmas, right? Since Christmas is just really close in our rear view, imagine a woman getting a brand new cookware set, right? Imagine that. Getting a brand new cookware set for Christmas and then only using it to make herself meals and not using it to make it for her family or the community around her. How selfish would that be? be Really selfish, right? Um, Imagine a man. Imagine a dude receiving the gift of a brand new truck but then only using it to serve his own needs rather than using it to serve his family and his friends. How self-centered would that be? Or imagine a man who marries a woman only for the intimacy that he wants to experience. How selfish would that be? Imagine a woman who marries a man only for the sense of security that she longs for and hopes to gain. How selfish would that be? Here's the crazy thing. I've only listed out four ideas, like four small illustrations that came to my mind. And a list for us can go on and on and on what selfishness looks like, right? Like, just those four, I mean, I, I fit in two of those categories because I'm not a woman. <laughs> and everything we have is a gift from God. Every breath you have, every possession you have, every ounce of energy that you have is a gift from God. And those, th- those gifts flow out of the gift of God's grace. Grace is, is, is unearned kindness and generosity. That's what grace is. Grace. This is the, if, you could, if you could get it as a tangible substance in your hands, if you grab a hold of it, it would, that, that's what it would be. Although it's hard to grab a hold of. Grace is unearned kindness and generosity. Uh, you want, want a picture of this? Right, here's the picture that came to my mind as I was Writing this, grace, grace, uh, apart from being my daughter, um, grace is like receiving a paycheck. 
How many of you have ever re- received a paycheck in your life? Raise your hand if you've ever received a paycheck for anything. Okay, um, we might receive a few more, I hope, right? Um, so grace is like receiving a paycheck, but it's receiving a paycheck even though you didn't show up to work all week because you were out partying all night and on top of that, talking trash about your employer. And he walks up to you and he hands you a check and he goes, here's your week's worth of pay. Have a good week. Unearned kindness and generosity. That's what grace is. I assure you that even that illustration falls terribly short of actually illustrating grace. Because honestly, if you want a picture of grace, aside from my daughter, it's the picture of Christ at the cross on your behalf. When you and I truly experience the generosity of God in contrast to our own sinfulness and selfishness, we become truly generous and kind people. When I see people giving their time, their talent, their treasure away for the sake of the gospel, especially in the midst of their own pain and suffering, I'm totally humbled. Seriously, this morning, um, and I'm going to be back again, but this morning I'm standing in another church at 8 o'clock this morning. 400 people in their first service. A large church across town who has suffered and faced difficulty without a pastor for two and a half years to hire a brand new pastor a few months ago. Imagine that guy walking into that church being the brand new guy. What fun. But imagine then finding out that the guy over here at this church has been pursuing one of his families to come join the team. Like that guy could have just let this thing go silently, like quietly, like, okay, you guys go ahead and go. and go to another church, that's fine. They didn't do that. They chose instead to have that family and myself get on stage in front of their 400 people, and that pastor sat there and said, hey, y'all, I I know I'm new here and everything, and it'd be really easy for me. It's just very transparent, really easy for me just to start thinking, man, why are they leaving? I know why they just don't like me, right? Then he just shifted gears, and he was like, but look, this is a a big-picture kingdom thing for us to send a family out of our church to a church plant across town. And his final challenge to his church family was, Let this mark our church family moving forward. That other people would get up out of the comfort of their seats and say, let's go plant churches. Let's go reach people for Christ. Let's face that risk, that suffering, that difficulty. Like when when this kind of stuff happens, that rocks my flipping world. Because this isn't a picture of somebody who's walking into a church because they're looking for a church that will serve their needs, right? And that's not bad. Um, These are people that are like, hey, we're going to move to a place that's really uncomfortable. We're going to come into a crowd of people that are totally different than us, try to start speaking the language and try to lead and see gospel fruit come out of that. that that's, that's a wild picture for me. When, when I see that kind of grace, I'm humbled. See, what causes introverted people to come out of their shell to love other people and welcome them into friendship? What causes extroverted people to tone it down a little and be present with the people that are in front of them so that they can care for them? What, what causes selfish people to become generous? What causes people to leave their homes and become missionaries? What causes people to give themselves away in gospel community every week? What causes people to support the church and missionaries financially? What, what causes that? The only answer is God's grace. That's the only answer. The only thing that takes selfish men and turns them into servants of their wives and their kids is God's grace. The only thing that takes selfish women and turns them into servants of their husbands and their families and their church families and the community 
is an experience of God's grace. It's the only thing. Grace of God was not given to each of us so that we could hide out in our own little bubbles. The grace of God was not given to us merely to save us from the fires of hell. The grace of God was not given to us so that God could become our homeboy either, right? Grace of God was given to each of us so that we could move from the camp of being enemies with God to becoming sons and daughters of God who live generously and sacrificially and unselfishly, just like, guess who? Jesus, right? So the grace of God takes us out of the foster home of Satan's sin and death, places us by adoption into the kingdom mansion of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and from that seated, everybody just grab a hold of your seat for a minute, from that seated position of our identity. That's what Paul's been railing on entirety of the first three chapters of Ephesians. From that seated position of our new identity in the presence of Christ, that's where we find confidence. The confidence to, to, to share everything that we have with people around us. This radical experience of God's Grace is what causes us to proclaim that the community around us doesn't exist for us. Think about that statement. That experience of God's grace is what helps all of us proclaim that the community around us doesn't exist for us, but that we exist for the community around us. That's what enabled Paul to do this while he was in prison. Suffering and pain is a real funny thing. When you face suffering and pain, you get wounded. And when you get wounded, what do you do? Try to self-protect. You don't want to get hurt again. Not Paul. Why? Never became all about him. Why? Because he had experienced God's grace. He knew it wasn't about him. Our confidence is rooted in understanding that we are stewards of the gift of God's grace. And number two, Paul knew that he had been given a great revelation, right? What do you do when you receive a great responsibility, once again? So most of us begin to feel fearful of how we will perform. Sometimes we tap out, right? Tap out. Sometimes we rise up to the challenge. I think about the pressure. I think about the great responsibility of becoming a godly spouse. Think about the pressure or the responsibility of that, or a godly parent or a godly student or a godly employee. Wherever you're at in life right now, think about the pressure that you feel. Think about the pressure or the responsibility of our calling as Christians to be disciple makers and proclaimers of the gospel, not just in our words, but then in our deeds, our actions, our lifestyles. What gives a person the sustained confidence to walk out this calling? in a manner that is worthy of the God who calls us to follow him, uh, and not just follow him, but follow him with crosses over our shoulders. Like, yo, you want to come be a part of this church? Hey, go outside and grab the electric chair, carry that around with you. That's, that's your sign that you belong to this church, right? What's going to enable us to have the confidence to do that? Uh, I think one place we find the confidence to walk this out is rooted in the message of the gospel, right? Seems pretty simple and low-hanging. 
It's the revelation of the gospel that we have received. We didn't earn it. We can go out and track it down and get it for ourselves. We've received it. It's been given to us. Paul says it this way. You know how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. I've written about it briefly. When you read this, you perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You see, Paul's confidence was rooted in his understanding of the great revelation that he had received from God. God had revealed himself to Paul. God had revealed his heart for other people to come to know him through Paul's revelation of the gospel. Part, part of that big, fat revelation that Paul received was the truth that the gospel is for anyone and everyone, not just for a select group of people. The big revelation that Paul received was especially meant for those whom society and religion had previously written off as hopeless and helpless. Ever feel hopeless or helpless? Listen, social background and ethnic background is no discriminator when it comes to those feelings. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is. And it doesn't matter what experience you had growing up. Every one of us knows what it feels like to feel hopeless and helpless. Paul had a message that was aimed towards anyone and everyone. It was a message of inclusion. Can you imagine that responsibility for the Apostle Paul? Where did he find the confidence to shoulder that massive responsibility without tapping out, right? It came from the revelation itself. It came from the message itself. This revelation that Paul had been given informed him that he was included in the family. Wasn't alone anymore, right? It wasn't that he got a family that was just for him, but he got to become part of a family that was going somewhere. You follow me on that? It wasn't just a family that was headed out on their big Christmas vacation and concerned about their own experience. He was part of a family that was on a mission together, charging a mountain, charging a hill, looking for others that could become part of that. That was the experience that Paul had, and he knew that he wasn't alone. See, when I feel alone, I feel much more confident when I remember that I'm not alone. Like, think about this. How much more confident should you and I be um, when we learn that we are not alone, but instead we are in the family with the Godhead? We're a part of the same family, right? When I walk in seclusion, when I isolate myself, when I isolate myself or walk in seclusion from good, godly friends, what happens to my confidence? Right? Like, it seems on the front edge to just be a lot easier just to walk alone. Like, just, I'm just going to seclude myself, isolate myself, get my books, my coffee, whatever, and just hide out. Right? But when I walk that way, my confidence begins to run out because it begins to be uh, rooted in just me then. Like, nobody else knows what I feel. Nobody else could ever possibly understand what I struggle with. So I'm just going to go hide out by myself, right? Find somebody else that wants to have the same pity party with me. I can find at least one other person. They might, you know, understand, and then we can just have the same pity party 
in the same basement uh, or garage. I like to hang out in my garage. Are you following? Just tracking? It's my, my own confession there, right? When I begin to do that, I begin to tap out then in the midst of suffering. I begin to give in to patterns of sin that I once thought I had beaten. So I'm walking all by myself. I'm a sheep. It's going astray. I found a way to dig my way out from underneath that fence, and I'm out from underneath the good and godly loving care of God through the community of the church, right? Following me? Tracking? I begin to throw pity parties for myself because I'm so lonely. I begin to view the world and my relationships through a me versus them mentality. And that, that begins to take place deep in my heart and my soul. I begin to think that the world revolves around me, what I want of what others may need. I begin to despise the responsibility of being my brother's keeper, just like Cain did with Abel. Right? Man, it was such a subtle shift for Cain. Rather than offering the offering that he should have offered, he offered something a little different. Right? God came to him and warned him, hey, you know what? You should watch out because sin is crouching around the corner. Now, you should master over it because if you don't master over it, it's going to kill you. Cain's like, la-di-da, whatever, God. <laughs> So tired of hearing you talk about all that stuff all the time. Just tired of always hearing about this, God. Like, could you just leave me alone for a little bit? And what happened? Gone. Man, God is faithful, though. God is so faithful, though. But for me, when, when I get myself there, he doesn't leave me there. Thank God. Thank God, right? God is so faithful. He comes to me in those moments through the words of Scripture, the counsel of friends, the words of, of rebuke or encouragement from my wife or my children. Like, yes, even my children can rebuke me. Ask them. They'll tell you. They've rebuked me a few times, and I needed it. <laughs> God the Father didn't save me from myself through the revelation of the gospel to then leave me alone with myself. Like, that would be really destructive. Like God just kind of sitting back in his armchair. Yeah, I understand, Joe, why you feel that way and why you're doing those things. I get it just leave me there how unkind would that be no thankfully he speaks a word of rebuke and a word of encouragement a word of challenge gets me up off my butt right he pursues me through the community of the church power of the spirit preaching of the word reminds me encourages me how to live like christ for the sake of the church and the glory of god see my, my confidence is rooted in the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So where is your confidence rooted today? I've got a slide next that'll give you some application questions. Like where is your confidence rooted? How are you experiencing the grace of God right now in your life? How are you experiencing the grace of God right now? How do you think this experience of God's grace should change you? Answer that question. How do you think this experience of God's grace should change you? What will be different about you tomorrow because of your experience of God's grace today? That's a big question. When we sing that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. It's, it's, it's not a picture of just this, like, I don't know, woozy, Good feeling, just grace, right? 
it's actually the picture of being changed by grace. Once I was blind, but now I see. God doesn't come and let you experience his grace to, 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 to leave you blind, to leave you as the person you were yesterday. So, so who are you going to be tomorrow? Well, what kind of change does this experience of God's grace affect within you? How has the gospel of the cross of Christ affected you? And, and, and how about this? Who do you know? Who do you know right now that needs to hear the same message you've heard? And then here's another question. What are you going to do about all this? Because it's on you, right? Well, easy now, right? Because I wouldn't want you to walk out of here thinking that, man, somehow i got to go out and do a bunch of things to earn God's grace because you don't. But let me tell you something. Experiencing God's grace does motivate people to do in right and healthy ways. The reason that I want to treat my wife right, the reason that I want to love my kids and spend time with them, the reason that I want to preach well, the reason that I want to plant a church, all those things, the reason why is because I've experienced God's grace. Right? And that motivates me to get out there and be a person that I wasn't, yet, was, that I wasn't yesterday. So don't walk away from here with that final question, like what are you going to do about it? Don't walk out of here with that question thinking that somehow it all lands on you. But on the end of the day, at the end of the day, we can't just sit back in our easy chairs looking up at the stars going, man, when's Jesus going to come back? Like Apostle Paul wrote an entire two books to the Thessalonians about that issue. Can't just sit out there going, Jesus is going to come back someday. You got to get up and do something, right? So what are you going to do about that? Like that's going to take a certain level of confidence for every one of us to engage those questions honestly and then take action. So where's your confidence going to come from just to do that? Um, I think our confidence, as I've been saying all day, is rooted in our understanding that we are stewards of God's grace through the revelation of the gospel that is embodied by Christ. God's grace through the revelation of the gospel was given to you and I to steward for the good of the community around us. The people in our relational circles need to experience the same grace we've experienced. Our friends and our family members and our coworkers need to hear the same gospel message we've heard. In the midst of a world that is coming unhinged with pain and suffering, our neighbors desperately need to catch a better glimpse of confidence than the false one that's being shoved down our throats every day, right? You and I are that vision. The church is that manifestation. Paul uses that word, manifold wisdom. We are that manifestation to the world. We are that picture. Paul knew that. He knew that he was like a walking, talking billboard for Jesus. He knew that the church was the representation of the kingdom of God, and he knew that pain and suffering would tempt the Ephesians to tap out and hide out, so he encouraged them, hey, don't lose heart when you see me suffering for you. I think Paul would continue, don't lose heart when you suffer too. He encouraged them to remain confident, just like him as he faced the uncertainty of his earthly existence. And in so doing, what Paul did was he painted a picture of Christ. Paint a picture for Christ, of Christ for a struggling church and a struggling culture to get behind. The picture of Christ is the picture of a confident man who willingly gives himself away on behalf of his enemies. See, with Christ, what you see is you see Jesus in the midst of great suffering at the cross, defeating Satan, sin, and the grave once and for all. 
That's what Jesus does. That's the picture of a confident man or woman. It's a picture of Christ at the cross with the tomb empty. And as Jesus went to that place with full joy in his heart, he proclaimed the gospel all the way through to the empty tomb. All the way through to his ascension back to heaven. Jesus is our picture of confidence. And in Paul, we see just a little sliver, a little glimpse of that same confidence that we know we need to face down, a temptation that we face, the sin that we struggle with. We need to face down our sin, right, with confidence. We need to live in community with confidence. We need to share the message of the gospel with confidence with our community. And our confidence is rooted in understanding that we are stewards of God's grace through the revelation of the gospel, which is embodied in Christ Jesus. So, where is your confidence rooted at today? How are you experiencing the grace of God right now? How do you think the experience of God's grace should change you? What will be different about you tomorrow because of your experience of God's grace today? How has the gospel of the cross of Christ affected you? Who do you know right now that needs to hear the same message you've heard? And finally, what are you going to do about that? All of that. It's going to take a certain level of confidence to answer those questions honestly and then take action. And coming all the way back to the beginning, once again, I can't create that in you. Right? In one message. The Spirit of the living God can do that. And so let's go to him and just ask him to do that work. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, for this message in Ephesians, and we thank you for just the faithfulness of your word and the faithfulness of your spirit and the faithfulness of your son and just your faithfulness to us, Father. Picture of grace in the face of Jesus at the cross. Give us confidence, I pray, to experience you and your presence and to become the people that you call us to be. Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. As we wrap up. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.